Hey everyone, welcome to the 76th episode of the Liam McClellan Show. Alright, so in this episode, I did a live stream reacting to the news surrounding Ukraine and Russia. I also just scrolled through Twitter for a little bit and reacted to the commentary surrounding it. It was recorded on February 24th, so a lot has happened since then, and some things may have changed. Just wanted to add that in there, but I hope you guys enjoy this. I might try to do more stuff like this in the future, just more of a relaxed um, style of, of just sitting there by myself and reacting to news. Let me know what you guys think, and remember to subscribe to me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Here it is. All right, so if you guys are anything like me, you were staying up late last night and watching the events that transpired in Ukraine. Um, a lot is going on, and I figured I would just hit record and uh, kind of share my thoughts as well as um, kind of read some news because I've I, I found that I really struggle with um, staying up to date with what's going on, and I think that it's important that I share the sources that I trust and um, update whoever's willing to listen. So I figured that I would actually just read through antiwar.com right now. Um, there's a lot of really great voices over there. I've interviewed Scott Horton, Dave DeCamp, um, and a couple other people from antiwar.com. So I figured I would just read some of the stories that are they are writing over there. Um, let me just share my screen really quick. All right. So I think we should start. Well, the, the funny thing here is um, with with how we're talking about Russia right now, there there are a few tweets that I think I'll show later where um, Eric Swalwell and Mitt Romney are saying that this is the biggest invasion since World War II by a great power against a sovereign people. And I tweeted out that like that really shows you what these people think about um, the Middle East and Africa. Uh, so the, the funny thing here is that the U.S. launched an airstrike against Al-Shabaab in Somalia, which is now, I think, officially the longest war in U.S. history. Um, so David Camp wrote that the U.S. launched an airstrike against Al-Shabaab in Somalia on Tuesday. U.S. Africa Command said on Wednesday it marks the first U.S. bombing of Somalia reported by AFRICOM in 2022. AFRICOM said it conducted the strike in a remote location near I'm not going to try to pronounce that Somalia in support of the U S backed government. The Somali military said it's special forces known as the killed 60 Al Shabaab fighters on Tuesday and operations in several areas in the Haran region, including in Dudable. Um, Af AFRICOM said its initial assessment found no civilian casualties in its airstrike, but as recent reporting has shown, the Pentagon is notorious for undercounting civilian casualties. When it comes to Somalia, whenever journalists make it to the scene of a U.S. airstrike, they usually find that civilians were killed. Um, so yeah, AFRICOM cited the 2001 authorization for the use of military force that was passed after the September 11th attacks as the justification for Tuesday's strike. Al-Shabaab didn't exist at the time, but after years of fighting the U.S. and its proxies, the group declared loyalty to Al-Qaeda in 2012, giving Washington the excuse it needs to invoke the 2001 AUMF. So um, as for as for what's going on in Russia, um, 
most in the United States do oppose the major role in Russia. Um, AP News says there's little support among Americans for a major U.S. role in the Russia-Ukrainian conflict, according to a new poll, even as President Joe Biden imposes new sanctions and threatens a stronger response that could provoke retaliation from Moscow. Biden has acknowledged a growing likelihood that war in Eastern Europe would affect Americans, though he has ruled out sending troops to Ukraine. Gas prices in the U.S. could rise in the short term. Um, There's a video of Jen Psaki essentially saying that, like, freedom, there is a sacrifice to freedom and a sacrifice to U.S. interests. So um, Americans should be aware that what what um, the Biden administration does to Russia and the sanctions and sanctions it imposes will probably increase gas prices in in the United States. Um, So, yeah, then there's also, interestingly, Iran, there's some Iran talks, um, Iran deal talks right now. And this is while many leaders are saying that they're not going to be meeting with Russia um, for diplomatic talks. So yeah, here's where we get to that. Um, Responsible Statecraft is a really great resource. Um, I've interviewed a few people from there, especially the the, the best um, interview I've done from someone from Responsible Statecraft is with Anel Sheline about the uh, Yemen conflict. Um, she's absolutely great on on the Yemen conflict, and more and more people need to read her stuff because that's, as has been said by many before me, um, it's the worst conflict in the world right now. Everyone should go watch uh, Scott Horton's or Dave Smith's appearance on Joe Rogan's podcast. He cites Scott Horton and Antiwar.com a few times in that podcast, and highlights the Yemen war really well. Um, and Anel Sheline and Responsible Statecraft have been really great resources to stay updated on that conflict. But here they're saying canceling talks with Russia won't achieve anything. The United States and its European partners have no vital interests in Ukraine and therefore should be prepared to compromise. Um, So, yeah, the U.S. and French decision to call off talks with Russia this week is foolish and wrong. In the past, this would have been considered tantamount to a declaration of war. But NATO has said that it will not go to war and Russia has not yet invaded Ukraine. And there is an editor's note at the top because this was written before. But I think this is important context that while the United States was saying that Russia was going to invade Ukraine for the last week, we had called off all diplomatic talks. So they continue, it is essential, therefore, to go on talking in the hope that war in Ukraine can still be avoided. Breaking off talks is in the worst, most narcissistic tradition of contemporary U.S. diplomacy, whereby just talking to a rival state is seen as some kind of favor or concession. Sanctions must be seen as a support to diplomatic efforts, not an end in themselves. Many Western leaders appear to have learned nothing from the experience of U.S. sanctions on countries like Cuba and North Korea, and indeed on Russia since 2014, which have taken on a life of their own and lasted for decades without ever achieving the goals for which they were imposed, let alone overthrowing the regimes in those countries. Um, Indeed, should an invasion occur, we would still need to negotiate with Russia in an effort to bring about a Russian withdrawal, as we negotiated with the northern Vietnamese government during the Vietnam War and with the Soviet government during the Soviet occupation of Afghanistan. A war in Ukraine is not going to end in unconditional Western victory along the lines of 1945. If it doesn't go on in a frozen state forever, like the situation in the Korean Peninsula, eventually there will be some form of agreement. The United States and other NATO governments are correct in imposing certain sanctions 
sanctions in response to the Russian recognition of the Donbass separate republics, but also correct and still reserving their worst sanctions as a deterrent against full Russian invasion. So I actually really disagree with this. Um, And I think we will get to that later. Just sanctions are an act of war. And and really what ends up happening is you starve out the people. and and you're punishing and and making the people of of a country suffer for the decisions that the government has made. And I think sometimes the theory is that like the people will get so upset with their government because um, there's economic strife. But like a lot of the times, it will actually embolden the government and and unify the government because there's this outside force. You've seen this with Venezuela. Um, so I, I interviewed John Miltimore. He is one of the managing editors at Fee about Venezuela. And, and part of the reason that, that the argument against socialism isn't so effective in Venezuela is because they have this outside force, the United States imposing sanctions. So the government is able to blame Western forces for their economy. So if, if we actually didn't impose the sanctions, we could just see socialism as the failure it is. Um, because I mean, in a sense, like sanctions are a policy that command economies impose. Like it, it, it is a government po- governmental policy. So it's it's really not any different than um, what the Venezuelan government does to its own people. Um, so it's, I mean, it, it kind of creates a bogeyman for people to um, to blame an outside force and, and unify the country. And and what's interesting, I was listening to a Ben Shapiro podcast earlier where he essentially makes the argument that. Um, and I disagree with him that uh, the reason Russia is so emboldened and willing to go to war is because they have a really poor economy. Um, and and because they don't believe in liberalism, they don't believe in um, the same values that we have here in the United States with free markets and the ability to just go get anything you want at the mall um, in, in town. Um, they they create this sense of national meaning and and purpose and they're able to expand their um their borders and and try to be imperialistic because they kind of do this to unify the people since there isn't some like unifying value that the country has like liberalism does um is what what ben was kind of arguing but but the problem with this is then like the the sanctions that ben is advocating for will would just make that even worse right like if if you make the economy even worse in in their country will they not just um unify around that government and and would not putin then have more justification to um expand and be imperialistic to unify his people so um just on just granting their argument um or granting ben's argument it doesn't really doesn't really work but yeah so you kind of get the the sense here that just like obviously at some point we are going to have to talk with russia and the fact that we've been calling this calling talks off while being aggressive and saying that russia is going to invade without talking with them at all and being diplomatic has has kind of um, created this situation we have. And I want to just read the editor's note to see what they say. Russian Russian President Vladimir Putin announced a special military operation against Ukraine Thursday morning local time, and his forces have been entering the country and attacking military infrastructure across Ukraine, drawing international condemnation. Okay. Um, so... Dave DeCamp writes that Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmitry 
Kulaba, I think I definitely got that wrong, said Thursday that Russia has just launched a full-scale invasion of Ukraine. A series of explosives were reported across Ukraine, including near the capital, Kiev. Anton, definitely going to get that one wrong too, an advisor to Ukraine's interior ministry said there were there were missile strikes on Kiev. The Russian defense ministry said in a statement that the Russian military is attacking Ukrainian military facilities and is not targeting cities. In another statement, the Russian defense ministry said it crippled Ukraine's air defenses with precision attacks. It also claimed that Ukrainian border guards are not resisting the advancing Russian troops. Earlier, Russian President Vladimir Putin announced a special operation in Ukraine's eastern Donbass region. He said the operation was meant to defend people's living in the Republic of Donetsk and Luhansk, which Russia recognized on Monday. After ordering the operation, Putin said that he has no plans to occupy the Ukrainian territories. President Biden released a statement condemning Putin's operation and said he would announce on Thursday further consequences that the U.S. and its allies will impose on Russia. Putin's order was preceded by the separatists in the Donetsk and Luhansk, asking Russia for military assistance to help in repelling the aggression of the Ukrainian military. Putin recognized the breakaway republics. Ooh, just messed something up. Um... Putin recognized the breakaway republics amid a spike of ceasefire violations along the line of control in the Donbass. The Donetsk and Luhansk first declared independence after the U.S.-backed coup in Kiev in 2014. Under the Minsk agreements, which were signed in 2014 and 2015, Ukraine agreed to cede some autonomy to the breakaway republics and hold elections. In exchange, the Donbass would be demilitarized and the region would remain part of Ukraine. But the accords were never fully implemented. After recognizing the republics, Putin said the Minsk agreements no longer exist. Putin's operation in Ukraine came after months of security talks between the U.S. and Russia. Russia submitted a list of security proposals to the U.S., and chief among them was a demand to promise that Ukraine would never join NATO, which was ignored. So um, the interesting part here is that like a lot of people I've been hearing people will say that like at least the. Uh, Ukraine is defending their territorial sovereignty and the United States should also defend the territorial sovereignty. But uh, Putin is actually appealing to the territorial sovereignty of the Donetsk and Luhansk regions. Um, So there's there's a little interesting facet there. And that's not justifying at all what what Putin is doing. It's just um, kind of showing that like our our support of of Ukraine in 2014 uh Putin claims is illegitimate and um violates the sovereignty of these regions. All right. So the latest news that is on antiwar.com is that dozens are killed so far in Russia Russian military attacks on Ukraine. According to the Associated Press, the Ukrainian armed forces have reported at least 40 of their soldiers have been killed since Russia launched its military offensive on the country. Aleski Arestovich, an advisor to Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, said up to 10 civilians have also been killed. On Twitter, Zelensky said Russia was trying to seize the Chernobyl nuclear power plant, which is about 80 miles north of Ukraine's capital, Kiev. Per AP, another advisor to Zelensky said Ukrainian forces lost control of the Chernobyl nuclear site after a fierce battle with Russian troops. 
Um, and then the tweet says from Zelensky says Russian occupation forces are trying to seize Chernobyl. Our defenders are giving their lives so that the tragedy of 1986 will not be repeated. Reported this to the Swedish PM. This is a declaration of war against the whole of Europe, which is crazy to think because they they aren't even a part of NATO right now. And and as was said in the previous article, one of Putin's main concerns is um, Ukraine joining NATO and and the fact that like this attack against Ukraine alone is an attack against all of Europe and implicates all of us, which also would implicate the United States is very crazy. And I really hope that that the United States does not respond um, with the same spirit. President Biden is set to deliver remarks on the situation at 1.30 p.m. Eastern time and is expected to announce more sanctions on Russia. The Kremlin said it's willing to negotiate terms of surrender with Kiev and wants Ukraine to declare neutrality and promise not to host weapons in its territory, territory, according to RT. So that also demonstrates like (laughs) all the people saying that his um, saying that Ukraine shouldn't be in NATO, like isn't actually an argument, like goes to show like that's one of their main things that they're trying to get out of Ukraine and get out of the situation. Um, U.S. military officials are telling the media that Russia's offensive is the beginning of what will likely be a multiple phase large scale invasion. Russian President Vladimir Putin ordered a special operation to defend people in the breakaway Donbass republics, which Russia recognized on Monday. But Russian strikes have been reported across the country. The Russian Defense Ministry claims Russia's armed forces are only targeting military sites in Ukraine, not cities. Putin has said he does not intend to occupy Ukraine. Um, so, yeah, and and the promise not to host weapons in his territory. I know a lot of people were also saying, well, that, that demonstrates that um, his arguments actually go beyond Ukraine's membership in, the, in NATO. But as I understand it, one of Putin's main um critiques of of U.S. policy is actually um, the presence of defensive weapons, um, defensive missiles in Ukraine that can actually be used um, in offensive postures as well. So um, that kind of shows that it seems to be Western influence in total that that Putin is kind of responding against, um, whether it be NATO alliance or or United States intervention in Ukraine. Because, I mean, the, the funny thing is, is we'll, we'll get to this. There's this poll that the Washington Post um, published that, that shows that the, the um, people are more likely to support war against Russia over Ukraine if they don't know where Ukraine is on a map. Um, and if they did know where Ukraine was on a map, they would know that it is right next to Russia. Um, and the, the funny thing is, is like, no one wants to put, no one wants to imagine what Russia really is thinking in this situation, because I mean, we, we've had a situation in the past where, uh, uh, there's an analog to this, right? Like Russia was in Cuba. And I think we also had, um, we had missiles in Turkey and, and we, we know what happens when a foreign power is on our border. So like, why wouldn't we expect the same response from, um, another foreign power? All right. So let's see if there's anything else on here. Yeah. Everyone should go check out this episode by Ron Paul. Um, 
they just released it on YouTube called Fog of War, What's Behind Russia's Ukraine Strike. It's uh, it's a really good episode. Yeah, let's see what this is about. So apparently a bipartisan group of 43 members of Congress sent a letter to the Biden administration Tuesday to reassert the war powers vested in Congress under the U.S. Constitution and the War Powers Resolution of 1973. Though the Biden administration has made clear it won't be sending U.S. combat troops to Ukraine, the intent of the letter is to nip any effort to change this policy without congressional authorization in the bud. The authors Peter DeFazio and Warren Davidson write that if the ongoing situation compels you to introduce the brave men and women of of our military into Ukraine, their lives would inherently be put at risk if Russia chooses to invade. Therefore, we ask that your decisions comport with the Constitution and our nation's laws by consulting with Congress to receive authorization before any such deployment. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, Secretary Lloyd Austin ordered 160 Florida National Guardsmen out of Ukraine, the only known American troops still there. Um, I, I, I tweeted something about how Montana really needs to pass the defend the guard legislation this upcoming session, or at least we need to introduce it. I know that the Montana libertarian party is, is trying to find a sponsor, um, a Republican sponsor. So if anyone knows anyone that would be interested in sponsoring that or has any connections to legislators, um, please reach out and let me know because, um, what this legislation would do is it would essentially allow, uh, it would it would require that Congress passes um, a declaration, an official declaration of war, before the National Guard is sent out of a state to a foreign country to fight. Um, I, I remember hearing this somewhere. I don't know if it's true, but I've heard that the National Guard are typically the first to get to a conflict because they have to like shuffle people around um, in bases before they can actually send people um, from the other like like the army or the military or the marines or something like that but if if that argument is true like like we should be able to have states like montana or florida in this instance be able to say like no like until you actually comport with the constitution and declare war we're not going to send our national guard because um i think it was hurricane katrina when when uh hurricane katrina happened i believe they were in um iraq uh, the National Guard were in Iraq, so they they couldn't they couldn't actually help. Um, so that's that's one of the main motivations for I think that piece of legislation, and I would love to see that get passed in Montana. Yeah, Vince Rickey. If Vince Rickey wanted to help out, that would be awesome. I I think that his term is actually ending, though. I, I could be wrong about that. Um, but yeah. If anyone knows, please, please let me know. All right. So some other things. I think that this might be interesting. George Kennan warned NATO expansion will lead to this. Mr. X is rolling in his grave. This is by David Stockman, the great David Stockman. We are now deep into the weeds with respect to Ukraine. So deep, in fact, that the underlying architecture of the situation doesn't have a snowball's chance in the hot 
place of getting even a fleeting mention in the 24-7 war news cycle. So let's call a spade a spade. The current fraught situation has nothing at all to do with the rule of international law or the sovereignty of national borders or the spread of democracy. And certainly not even remotely with any kind of threat to the safety and security of the American homeland posed by Russia. To the contrary, it all goes back to the fall of 1991 when the old Soviet Union slithered off the pages of history. But the Washington-based military-industrial complex refused to go quietly into the good night. Instead, it busied itself with policing the far-flung precincts of the planet as if the Cold War had not even ended and extended Washington's hegemony to any and every vacuum left behind by the vanished Soviet Union and its former satellites, allies, and vassals. Foremost among these misbegotten projects was the per perpetuation of NATO and its subsequent extension to most of the former Warsaw Pact nations. At the time, the Senate approved the treaty admitting the first three new members, Poland, Hungary, and the Czech Republic. In 1998, New York, New York Times columnist Tom Friedman had the good sense to track down the single wisest voice in America about the matter. We are referring, of course, to the legend legendary George F. Kennan, who had been ambassador to Russia during the Stalinist era and had authored the famous X article in Foreign Affairs published in 1947. The, the letter laid out the su subsequent U.S. policy of Soviet containment and was the foundational document for the creation of NATO in 1949. Needless to say, the then aging Kennan delivered the then youngish New York Times columnist an earful, one which literally echoes down through the ages. Kennan virtually predicted today's insane break of war with Russia. Quote, I think it is the beginning of a new Cold War. I think the Russians will gradually react quite adversely and it will affect their policies. I think it is a tragic mistake. There was no reason for this whatsoever. No one was threatening anybody else. This expansion would make the founding fathers of this country turn over in their graves. We have signed up to protect a whole series of countries, even though we have neither the resources nor the intention to do so in any serious way. NATO expansion was simply a lighthearted action by a Senate that has no real interest in foreign affairs. What bothers me is how superficial and ill-informed the whole Senate debate was, added Mr. Kennan, who was present at the creation of NATO and whose anonymous 1947 article in the journal Foreign Affairs signed X defined America's Cold War containment policy for 40 years. I was particularly bothered by the references to Russia as a country dying to attack Western Europe. Don't people understand? Our differences in the Cold War were we're with the Soviet communist regime, and now we are turning our backs on the very people who mounted the greatest bloodless revolution in history to remove that Soviet regime. And Russia's democracy is far advanced, if not farther, as any of these countries we've just signed up to defend from Russia. Said Mr. Kennan, who joined the State Department in 1926 and was a U.S. ambassador to Moscow in 1952. It shows so little understanding of Russian history and Soviet history. Of course, there's going to be a bad reaction from Russia, and then the NATO expanders will say that we always told you that that is how the Russians are, but this is just wrong. Moreover, in one of the. Yeah, so that's where the quote ends. And then. Um, oh, just a second. So 
So Stockman continues, moreover, in one of the few insightful things he has ever penned, Tom Friedman hit the nail on the head with respect to the utter foolishness of the U.S. Senate. And what was America's response? It was to expand the NATO Cold War alliance against Russia and bring it closer to Russia's borders. Yes, tell your children and your children's children that you lived in the age of Bill Clinton and William Cohen, the age of Madeleine Albright and Sandy Berger, the age of Trent Law and Joe Lieberman, and you too were present at the creation of the post-Cold War order. When though when these foreign policy titans put their heads together and produced a mouse. We are in the age of midgets. The only good news is that we we got here in one piece because there was another age, one of great statesmen who had both imagination and courage. Alas, if we were only a matter of intellectual midgets, the initial foolishness of expanding NATO might have been stillborn in its tracks. Unfortunately, however, what was at work was not merely weak brain power, but massive lobby power influ- and influence peddling of the middle military industrial complex. That is to say, the reason there was no peace when the great 44 year great 44 years Cold War ended was that America's then $507 billion defense budget, constant so that was in 2012, couldn't tolerate disarmament and demobilization, which the objective condition of the world clearly beckoned. And most especially because the neocons, unreconstructed Cold War hawks and defense pork barrelers who dominated the GOP were lined up resolutely against it. For crying out loud, after years of the Reagan defense buildup, the GOP on Capitol Hill was so addicted to war spending that they even put expansion of NATO into their 1996 party platform. Doing so, they reverted in knee-jerk fashion to phony peace through strength rhetoric in a world in which there was zero effective military threat to the security of the American homeland. Indeed, the GOP's 1996 platform amounted to nothing more than recycled captive nations, humbug that had been faithfully broadcast to Polish, Baltic, Hungarian, and Czech, and other Eastern European constituencies throughout the Cold War with no intention of doing anything about it. As a young legislative assistant on Capitol Hill during the 1970s, working for a congressman from Illinois who had statewide ambitions, in fact, we drafted more than our share of captive nations resolutions, which, of course, were not worth the mimograph paper they were printed on. So the truth is, George Kennan was dead right. The original expansion of NATO, which was forced on the Clinton administration by the GOP Senate, was every bit as frivolous and superficial as the captive nation's resolutions. That is, foreign policy extracted from the flotsam and jetsam of domestic election block maneuvers. So I think this is Kennan again. We are the party of peace through strength. We believe the safety and prosperity of the American home and workplace depend upon ensuring our national security in a dangerous world. This principle was proven in our long struggle against communism. And as recent events have tragically shown, it is still true today. The gains we made for democracy around the world under two Republican presidents are now imperiled by a rudderless foreign policy. We vigorously support restoring the promotions of democracy worldwide as a cornerstone of U.S. foreign policy. Democracy is the best guarantor of peace and will ensure greater respect for fundamental human rights and the rule of law. Let us begin by reaffirming that Europe's security is indispensable to the security of the United States and that American leadership is absolutely indispensable to the security of Europe. The Atlantic The Atlantic alliance, our relations with the nations of Europe, must continue to be based on the NATO alliance, which remains the world's strongest bulwark of freedom and international stability. Our policy will strive to consolidate our Cold War victory in Europe and to build a firm foundation for a new century of peace. Um, So let's see if he has anything to say about that afterwards. 
I just want to read his conclusion. Um, for want of doubt, it is worth recalling that when Obama left office, the constant dollar defense budget had eroded considerably from $702 billion to $572 billion in 2017 as a result of George Bush's Middle Eastern wars being wound down, but the GOP neocons were not remotely done. As it happened, the Donald turned out to be the GOP's final gift to the military industrial complex because he fell hook, line and sinker for the eroded readiness canard, which they had pulled on Ronald Reagan too. Trump ended up restoring real defense spending to near record levels of $674 billion, even as he foolishly harassed the rest of NATO to spend even more. As shown below, non-US NATO spending rose from $262 billion in 2016 to $323 billion in 2022 or in 2020, or by 23%, of course. That's how the ill-informed Donald Trump got bamboozled on his correct instinct that NATO was obsolete. They talked him into solving the problem by having the balance of NATO spend more when the problem was it was spending way too much already. Yeah. So that's, that's very interesting here is I, something that I noted um, is just that there's a lot of talk about Biden inflation recently that like all of these policies coming out of the Biden administration are producing inflation. But my question to conservatives are who are more hawkish towards Russia right now is like, what do you really expect us to do? Like, what do you, what do you actually want us to do? Because you are criticizing from a fiscal conservative perspective, the, the current Biden administration, when it comes to the price of gas, when it comes to all of these things. And at the same time, it seems like people like Ben Shapiro are arguing for more sanctions on Russia, which will increase gas prices in the United States. Um, and at the same time, they're arguing for a higher military budget and and to police the world when we know that we are I, I, we just hit $30 trillion in debt in, in the United States. Um, we have to continue to print money to pay for these wars. So I, wh- what what do fiscal conservatives really think that we are capable, not just like what we ought to do, what we are capable of doing as a country? We, What we are seeing right now with the United States kind of being humiliated on the global stage is the retreat of the American empire and, and really the consequence of the war on terror, um, and and all of the other wars that that we've declared since Lyndon B. Johnson, um, whether it be the war on poverty, the war on drugs, this is the consequence. The empire is retreating because we have inflated the dollar away, and there is no confidence confidence in it, us anymore. The 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 downside to more sanctions is that it is going to push Russia towards China and Iran. There's this really great article by. Um, my friend Stratty, and I might try to find it later in this live stream, um, where where he breaks down this kind of financial system that that Russia, along with Iran and and China, have created to kind of safeguard themselves from sanctions, from U.S. sanctions. So instead of being diplomatic and, and trying to trade with these countries, um, as as Frederick. Frederick Bastiat, the economist, suggested. Uh, he said that when when goods don't cross borders, um, troops do. And in, instead of trying to do that, um, we we are pushing them further away from us, which is incredibly dangerous and myopic. Um, we might want the the people of the United States might want a strong military. Um, well, they don't want a strong military uh, reaction, but but some do. But it, it's very myopic because, especially from the conservative perspective, like it's it's also contradictory. It's co- contradictory to everything you believe when it comes to um, 
fiscal conservatism. And, and honestly, that's exactly why I am no longer a conservative. That's not why, why I'm a Republican. Um, or that's why I'm not a Republican anymore is because when I was a senior in high school, um, and I saw that Obama or that Trump was bombing Syria and Afghanistan, it really made me reflect. And I, I had, uh, I had really come to love the principles of freedom and, and to be able to see that like Republicans were very inconsistent when it came to small government fiscally, but not uh, small government when it came to foreign policy and security. Um, so I think that there's really a lesson to be learned from all of this, that the United States really is retreating. And, and part of it is because of the fiscal policies that the United States has been pursuing, whether it's through monetary policy or um, the the deficit spending that is required and the printing of money that is required to pay for war and to pay for all of these programs that that the United States tries to pay for while it's $30 trillion in debt. So um, I think that this is a great article and uh, everyone should check out David Stockman because he has some great stuff on the economy and and war. Um, I do want to see if there's any more updates on what's going on here. Dave DeCamp has been on top of all of this. So yesterday, this was an update. I think we just read that one. Um, All right, so it doesn't look like there's any more news there. So I'm going to switch over to Twitter really quick um, and kind of show you guys my feed over the last 24 hours because um, and kind of just let you guys see how I observed everything happening last night because, again, like if, if you're anything like me, you were staying up pretty late watching the news. So the first, the first news I got of it was um, when Putin ordered military operations in Ukraine. Um, and at the time, the White House has said that the U.S. would not send any troops to fight in Ukraine any under any other under any circumstances. And I think Biden has actually doubled down on that. He has said that that's still the case, even though he's imposed sanctions. Um, so, yeah, so Putin announced special operation in Donbass last night. And then let's see. And this is kind of funny. So um, things were happening so fast. Scott Horton recorded a an interview with Dave Smith on on his show, and it was airing last night while everything was happening. So I'm sure that did not age too well. Um, I know that a lot of us were saying that a lot of libertarians were saying that um, we did we did not expect an invasion, and a lot of us had have had to come back and say that we were wrong about that. Um, all right. So yeah, this was what it really got crazy. Like, like, cause when we started seeing that they were actually bombing East, the Eastern port part of Ukraine, that was crazy. And everyone should also follow Sputnik news. Um, my roommate, Ethan Holmes writes for them and I'll be interviewing him tonight about everything that's going on in the recent developments and what he, he makes of all of it. All right. So, yeah, here's Caitlin Johnstone just 
spot on about all of this. So I, I cannot believe that Eric Swabal said this, but he said Kiev and Kharkiv, Kharkiv, I don't know how to pronounce that, are being bombed. The largest invasion on our planet since World War II. Republicans are rooting for the Russians. God be with Ukraine and democracy. And she she said, look at this shit. These people actually believe it's legitimate to call this the largest invasion on our planet since World War II. Just snip out all the pages from the history books between 1950 and 2003 to make Western imperialists feel good about themselves. Everyone should go follow her. Um, I think she has a sub stack. She's really great on this and 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 kind of uh, she she has a lot of existentialist articles too where it's like we are so close to nuclear war and like just the idea of like people not really being aware of it and then just being in class one day and 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 looking up and seeing a mushroom cloud like her writing is very very great but also very depressing at times <laughs> Um, and then Tulsi Gabbard. So this was crazy. So she comes out and she says this war and suffering could have easily been avoided if Biden, if the Biden administration and NATO had simply acknowledged Russia's legitimate security concerns regarding Ukraine's becoming a member of NATO, which would mean U.S. and NATO forces right on Russia's border. So she said this last night and then instantly, like I think within like 20 minutes, there were like 80,000 people tweeting about um her being a traitor traitor was trending on Twitter charts last night. And this is type of like, this is the type of like inauthentic stuff that I think is really weird where like, it has to be like some weird fed involvement or something like that. Like the algorithm has to be corrupted or compromised because there's no one, there's no way that that many people started talking about it that instantly. It was, it was kind of crazy to see that people really started attacking her for that, that early. Um, and even I, I mean, I had people calling me saying that I was working for Russia because I, I didn't want to go to war with a country that has more nukes than the United States. And it's just such an inauthentic talking point that does not come from like a genuine source. Like it, this, this is a manufactured thing and a fabricated narrative. And, and the fact that it was trending on Twitter last night was really weird. Um, and yeah, I just I just had this thought last night. You should be able to conscientiously object from the taxes and inflation that fund war. Those that support a war should fight and fund the effort themselves. Object to the fiat system that fuels war at the expense of your savings. Because like I said earlier, like in order to fund any of these wars, including the the official wars that we're in right now, whether it's in Libya or Syria or um, or the wars we're funding, at least um, in, in Yemen, um, all of this. And, and all of the aid, the military aid that goes to these countries is printed because we are $30 trillion in debt. We do not have the money. We have to borrow it. So um, we are inflating away our currency to pay for these wars. And then Ethan Holmes, who I'll be interviewing tonight, um, he says, I don't want to see a multipolar world order because I hate the West, but rather because I love it. Those who most sincerely criticize the West present iteration are those who care about its future ones. And then Representative Anthony Sabatini said, focus on the tyranny in our country, not on nonsense 5,000 miles away. Um, and then, yeah, apparently Ukraine announced martial law last night following the invasion. Um, so I don't know. We'll hear more from Ethan tonight about what what happened there. And then Max Abrams, everyone should also follow Max. He's he's great on all things foreign policy. Um, so someone said, Putin warns 
any foreign attempt to interfere with Russian action will lead to consequences they have never seen. And he says, this is exactly why Ukraine should never be in NATO. Imagine if Ukraine were in NATO, America would be in the middle of a war against a nuclear superpower under obligation. We would obviously have to go to war to defend um, Ukraine. And and that's crazy. The fact that we're this close to nuclear war, like like if, if we had if they had been in um, NATO, like we, we could be fighting with the Russians right now. It's it's insane. Um, and yeah, I should probably not share this because I don't know if uh, any of these are actually legit. But yeah, there were there was some footage um, pretty early on of bombs in Ukraine. So yeah, apparently um, they don't they don't know if there were there was any military action west of Kiev to Odessa, but I think since that we um, I think Luhansk is now trying to claim more territory. And then yeah, Kevin Gastala said, "What's terrifying is no officials in U.S. in the U.S. government or any EU government will give Russian President Vladimir Putin." a meaningful incentive to back off of his military objectives. In fact, U.S. hasn't allowed for diplomacy for weeks. All they did was keep crying Russia is going to invade. The repeated claims that Russia would invade on certain dates, which came and went, were supposedly to deter Putin, but they didn't deter anything. Instead, those alerts fueled escalation by U.S., NATO, Ukraine, and Russian military forces. If invasion was inevitable before tonight... It is because starting in December, at least, foreign policy advisors and military generals in U.S. government went down a road that guaranteed eventual Russian response, and U.S. media played right into it, spreading every intel claim. Every time Putin or any Russian official raises threat of neo-Nazis in Ukraine, that is downplayed or treated as surreal, where to believe it's made up pretext for acts of aggression. But before 2022, media acknowledged Ukraine's Nazi problem. So yeah, we'll just scroll through these photos really quick. Um, so this article that he's sharing, the headline is, why does no one care that neo-Nazis are gaining power in Ukraine? This was by Michael Colborn in 2018. Um, USA Today said volunteer Ukrainian unit includes Nazis in 2015. Um, in 2018, commentary saying Ukraine's neo-Nazi problem by Reuters um, reads, as Ukraine's struggle against Russia and its proxies proxies continues, Kiev must also contend with a growing problem behind the front lines, far-right vigilantes who are willing to use intimidation and even violence to advance their agendas, and who often do so with the tacit approval of law enforcement agencies. And like, I think this is a point that that, um, Scott has made, like, this isn't like people are just calling them Nazis like Democrats do here in the United States. Like these are legit people who, who um, have Nazi kind of flags and, and swastikas. And if, if anyone uh, watches hate thy neighbor, I think it's on Hulu. There's this episode where um, the comedian interviews a bunch, he goes to Ukraine and he interviews a bunch of these far right guys and straight, straight up asks them like, uh, are you racist? Like, do you, do you hate me? Cause I think, um, I think the guy was black. I don't remember, but, um, and and the guy's like, well, we don't hate you, but we don't want to live with you. Like these are, these are legit Nazis. And we we talked about it on my previous podcast with Ethan Holmes. Um, if, if you want to know a little bit about their background and, and kind of where this, uh, more from a sociological perspective, why, why, uh, people are so far right in the country. 
Um, and then another article is Ukraine's anti-Russia Azov battalion. I think that's how you pronounce it. Minutemen are neo-Nazi terrorists. Um, so Kevin continues, a military offensive by Russia is happening, not beyond Donbass yet, but into breakaway republics in eastern Ukraine and likely deeper into contested territory to fight Ukrainian forces. And Putin may push on to Kiev, especially if world leaders do not reconsider their playbook. For the record, I do not support Russia's military offensive in Ukraine, including in the Donbass region. I support de-escalation and Russia's troops should stay out of Ukraine. Um, he says that we should... We should allow French and German diplomats to sit down with the U.S., Ukrainian, and Russian diplomats, perhaps hammer out an updated Minsk agreement, but more than anything, acknowledge a 25-year-old grievance, NATO expansion, and offer some concession to avoid what we're seeing now. All right. Yeah. So this is the the article that I was citing earlier. This is important context. Everyone on Twitter tonight is now a foreign policy expert on all things Ukraine and Russia. Meanwhile... 84% of Americans don't know where Ukraine is. That's NBC News. Um, and then Reed Coverdale, my friend Reed Coverdale, come in here with uh, some more lighthearted jokes to make sense of the situation last night and, and laugh about it. Um, the Nazis and the Russians are fighting again. Uh, Kim Iverson said, all we had to do was back off from NATO talk. Ukraine is Russia's part of the world and their security issue. We really shouldn't have toppled the government in 2014. Kim is awesome. Um, she her segment on the Hill is great, and I mean she's she's a leftist, but like she has been spot on about the COVID regime, and she has been spot on about foreign policy. Um, and yeah, last night when everyone thought the President Biden had gone to bed to give his talks today at noon, apparently he actually was talking to Zelensky. Um, but that was, I mean, I, I was a little nervous about what would have come came out of that um but i think as i said earlier ethan will give us a little update as to what biden actually said in his statement today uh dave decamp said backing a coup in ukraine sending weapons to them and expanding nato up to russia's border had some serious consequences huh remember this lesson as the u.s is building up its forces and alliances in southeast asia to encircle china yeah i have to get rid of this too so there there were some rumors that um there were some uh, strikes in Moldova last night, which would have been absolutely crazy because then that would have been Russia expanding towards NATO. Um, and yeah, that, that really could have turned into something bigger. But yeah, here's Kyle Kalinske with some honesty. Um, truly terrifying times that Biden cuts off Russia from the global banking system in retaliation. Very possible, if not likely, Russia has states they consider that a declaration of war. I think he's saying they have stated they consider that a declaration of war. Um, yeah, they have stated they consider that a declaration of war. People don't under, understand just how on the brink we are. Obama got endless shit for not doing it over Crimea. And my guess is that every voice in Biden's ear will be telling him he has to do it. This could get really bad. Yeah. The funny thing is, is like, again, back to Ben Shapiro in his episode today, he's like, he's talking about, um, while simultaneously talking about how Biden's not going far enough, he's also talking about how like they're hypocritical because they are worried about gas prices now and how sanctions are going to affect uh, gas prices in this country. And then Ben goes on this tirade about how saying that they, they didn't care about Keystone and all of this stuff. But it's like, dude, be consistent here, though. Like, are you in favor of fiscal policies that will 
or foreign policies that will affect gas prices in the United States. Like quit being, I mean, he's an opportunist, right? Like, like Republicans aren't in office right now. So he, he can blame, he's in this position where he can blame them if they do. And if they don't, um, so yeah, it's, I mean, I, just be careful with all of the propaganda on both sides. Um, and, and the funny thing is, right. Like I'm, I'm a libertarian and I'm citing Kyle Kalinske. He's a leftist. Like he fundamentally disagrees with me on most things except foreign policy. <laughs> yeah. And then recovered ale again, Russia doing its best United States impersonation. Um, and then Aaron Jen said breaking the white house blames the unvaccinated, the unmasked and climate change for Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Unclear if racism is involved at this time. And then drew, uh, Please, for the love of God, just keep American troops out of Ukraine. I, I posted this on Facebook, and I'm I'm not going to give the names of these people, but I uh, there were there were people who commented under my post um, who I thought I was fairly friendly with, um, who accused me of working with the Russians because I don't want to go to war with a country with more nukes than the United States, um, which is really sad to see. Like you, you really are seeing this inauthentic propaganda. Um, spreading and affecting even close friends and family. And I don't think that'll, I really think like a couple of weeks ago, I went out with my, my student group here at the university of Montana and, and we had a poster asking how many people would be willing to go to war. Most of the people said, no, they would not be willing to go to war. There were a few that said, yes. Um, I wasn't there, so I don't really know. Uh, I, I sent out some of the, um, other students in our group, um, to do it. And I wasn't there, so I don't know what the people were saying on the ground, but we're, we're planning on going out again. And I'm just curious if all of a sudden you'll see those numbers switch, because I think that the people are so easily manipulated and, and possessed by propaganda. It's totally possible that like now some of those people who said we shouldn't go to war will say that we should, which is just terrifying. Um, so then Ethan Holmes said many conflicting Many conflicted feelings just want love and peace. We'll likely have some long form reflections out tomorrow. So yeah, he's he's coming on tonight at seven thirty Mountain Standard Time um, to talk about what he makes of all of this from his perspective as a journalist who covers a lot of Russian news and has a lot of family in Russia or not family but people that he knows in Russia and Ukraine. Um, it's not like he's siding with either government in this case. He just wants peace. Um, as do I. So Libertarian Party of Tennessee said the destruction that NATO and the whole entangling alliance complex has caused is enormous. The U.S. should withdraw immediately. No more waging foreign battles that aren't ours. And then Reed also said that we, the, the uh, free state of New Hampshire needs to pass the Defend the Guard legislation. Um, that's the piece of legislation that I was talking about earlier that I think Montana really needs to pursue to protect the National Guard and make sure that they aren't sent to foreign countries unless there is um, a real declaration of war by Congress um, returning to the constitutional war powers of, of uh, the United States. And I think I mean, I, I would even like to see inflation go or uh, legislation go f further and, and just say like, well, I mean, it's really up to the governor, right? Or the legislature of the state, whether or not they're going to send their National Guard. Because even if Congress does declare war, like what if there's a national disaster um, or a state, a disaster in the state and um, the National Guard are in a foreign country, like can they should they should be able to have the authority to reserve some national guard for 
emergencies in, in the state. So I think that legislation that went even further and said like, even without a congressional declaration of war, like kind of the state has jurisdiction over the national guard. I think that that would be really great. Um, Libertarian party of New Hampshire said, imagine if Russia and China led an organization that continued to expand and try to get Canada and Mexico to join their anti-America group. What should the response from America be in this hypothetical situation? Who would you consider the aggressors to be? Um, And, this is kind of where we had to like backtrack as, as libertarians. Just, I, I, I think he's absolutely, whoever tweeted this is absolutely right. Um, but he, the, the account said the most aggressive parties involved in the Ukraine Russia conflict are neither Ukraine nor Russia. It's the United States and NATO. I think that was true <laughs> after last night. I mean, we still really don't know what the casualties say, how many people died. Um, maybe someone in the comments has that information, but, um, I think we can definitively say that that's no longer true. Uh, but I think that this spirit is absolutely true. What if, what if Russia and China led an organization that came to Canada and Mexico, right? Like, um, we do have that analog throughout history, as I mentioned earlier, the Cuban missile crisis, when Russia got very close to the United States, um, and we, we know how we reacted to that. I think we can try to at least like um, imagine how another country would react to having troops close to their border. Yeah. So someone said that they honestly have not been seeing. Is that reporting on casualties? Is that what you mean? Spud ruckus. Um, and then Anthony Sabatini said Lockheed Martin Raytheon general dynamics Boeing and the Democrats are super pumped right now. Yeah. So this, I mean, this is crazy, right? That we actually have some like real non interventionists. Um, did he get elected or is he running? Yeah, so hasn't seen any official reporting on that. Cool. Thanks for the update. Um, and Eric Brakey, who is also really great on this, um, said, turn on the corporate news and watch the military industrial complex salivating over the prospect of a war with Russia. Eric is a Republican and he is great. Um, we, we really do have a lot of non-interventionist Republicans and it's kind of crazy to see that thread pop up again. It's like um, Scott Horton makes this point that like it's it's serious that and, and it's really huge that like large portions of the right are anti-war, non-interventionist. They, I mean, it, it was right-wingers who went over to foreign countries and died for the United States. And I think that in reaction to that, they, they kind of see the brutality of war. And I think it's like 60% or 67% of troops support withdrawing from Iraq and similar for Afghanistan. I think I, I may have mixed up the stats there, but I know it's around... I think it was 67 supported leaving Afghanistan and there's a similar stat. Um, and I think it's even more for Iraq. Um, veterans want to come home too. And I think this is exactly why like Ron Paul had more funding from, uh, veterans than Obama and all of the other Republicans combined. Uh, I think that was 2012. Um, and then also Donald Trump had 
crazy support from uh, veterans. And he supported withdrawing from countries too, at least while he was campaigning. And then Jack said Biden and the neocons still want a massive response to this. I don't know about this guy. Uh, I really don't. I've, I've met Jack. I actually met Jack in DC once. Um, and I don't know because like, he's so wishy-washy like he he'll say some stuff about ron paul but then all of a sudden like he turns around and he's saying we need to sanction the hell out of china and and sanction russia um so i don't know where he's at with this with all of this um and then jordan shachtel i think that's how you pronounce that says america has no military role to play in a conflict between russia and ukraine full stop tim dillon I, I know it's not the time, but the menu at Taco Bell has become boring and predictable. I think it's always time to mention that. So I don't know why he felt the need to include that. Um, obviously, Taco Bell has become very boring and predictable. And then, yeah, this, this is insane. So I'm going to read Mitt Romney's in state, uh, statement. I think this came out last night. Um, he said, Putin's Ukraine invasion is the first time in 80 years that a great power has moved to conquer a sovereign nation. It is without justification, without pro- pro- provocation, and without honor. Putin's impunity predictably follows our tepid response to his previous horrors in Georgia and Crimea, our naive efforts at a one-sided reset and the short-sighted short-sightedness of America first. The 80s called and we didn't answer. <laughs> the peril of, again, looking at Looking away from Putin's tyranny falls not just on the people of the nations he has violated, it falls on America as well. History shows that a tyrant's appetite for conquest is never satiated. America and our allies must answer the call to protect freedom by subjecting Putin and Russia to the harshest economic penalties. <laughs> and he has to include Putin or Russia there, right? Like obviously sanctioning even the the, the leaders of Russia will will still have some effects on the economy of Russia, but but these sanctions that that the United States are pursuing and imposing will affect the people of of Russia as well as us here. I think, um, I mean, like I said, Jen Psaki has admitted this. Uh, but yeah, this this is just crazy that, that people are so willing to starve out the people, the population of another country because of the actions of their own government. Um, as I mentioned before, it only emboldens the government and and gives them kind of a bogeyman to unite their people around. Um, so he says, by expelling them from global institutions and by committing ourselves to the expansion and modernization of our national defense. Um, and then Kevin said, if your response to Russia's military attack against Ukraine is to shame the few who try to create space for alternative perspectives in the hopes of avoiding war, you're loathsome. Shame the leaders of Russia, U.S., Ukraine, and EU countries who failed to prevent conflict. And then Ethan tweeted this photo last night. Says it didn't have to end like this. And it's like... a photo of um what do you call it like a deep fried photo of ron paul um jack said it didn't have to be this way um and then i i tweeted this photo of it's for people who are listening just on audio it's a photo of uh just a it's like a compilation of different photos from ron paul's 2008 campaign uh him shaking hands at people like a crowd of people who support him um and then like when he filled auditoriums and there's there's a photo of uh a blimp the ron paul blimp or there's a ron paul blimp floating above the auditorium kind of some nostalgic photos right there and i just said we had an opportunity to change course 
Clint Russell, who I've had on the show, said every single American politician needs to feel it in their bones that supporting U.S. troop involvement in Ukraine will be a career ender. We're about to find out if our representatives give a damn about public opinion because there is virtually no popular support for this BS. And then, yeah, so Ukraine last night decided to shitpost instead of, or I guess their their Twitter decided to shitpost. And there's this funny, um, yeah. Siraj Hashmi said, Russia launches invasion, Ukraine. I got the perfect meme for this. And it's a photo of um, Hitler standing over Putin. And they're they're obviously uh, trying to say that, like, Putin is Hitler. And um, Putin is literally Hitler, as as they would say. And I just I just posted a photo of um, the neo-Nazis in Ukraine. I said, right. Um, Caitlin Johnstone said, so it now seems the U.S. alliance has been forced to choose between either A, escalating aggressions against Russia to world-threatening levels, or B, doing what anti-imperialists have been begging them to do for years and pursuing detente. I don't see a third option. Do you? David Camp said Russia's defense ministry claims it crippled Ukraine's air defense system. So it appears that, and and I don't know if we have any information on this. Um, Spud Ruckus again is is commenting, um, and they might have more information about this in in the link that they sent me. But um, it, it appears that Russia's attack really was just at military infrastructure, um, from what we know now. And then I don't know if. Uh, Spud Ruckus, if you if you can um, tell me if you can hear this audio, that would be awesome. I think I'm going to play this video from Tucker Carlson. If it loads. <laughs> Maybe not. Um, either way, Tucker has been amazing on all of this. And it's it's great to see that, like, yeah, I retweeted this thing that I, I tweeted on uh, February 11th where I said, Tucker Carlson is an American hero for talking an audience filled with right-wingers like my grandparents out of supporting war with Russia. I, I truly believe that. Like, uh, back to what Scott was saying about, like, the fact that there really is a faction and a, a threat in, in, in the right that is – opposed to intervention in foreign countries like Tucker. I think he has like 5 million viewers per, um, per time he, he goes live. So it's like, I don't know the fact that the fact that I can trust that my grandparents and, and people like them are listening to this guy, um, every night is, is really great. And I mean, they do end up listening to Sean Hannity who is more hawkish afterwards, but it's, it's good. Um, this is this is sufficient, I think, because he's the biggest show on cable news. How about now? Can you hear it? Whatever. We we don't need to listen to that. Everyone should go check out that clip. Um, all right. And then someone else commenting about Eric Swalwell's, Swalwell's 
Wow. Eric Swalwell's tweet where he said that the largest invasion on our planet since World War II, that last night was the largest invasion since World War II. Robert Krauss said, it never occurs to worthless sacks of shit. I don't know if I'd use language like that, but I understand the spirit um, like this, that if things get really bad, they'll be counting on a lot of Republicans to risk their lives over this. Um, so that's that's why Republicans don't support this. Um, it's Republicans who go over there and fight. Maybe maybe less now that they impose the um, mandate on veterans. Um, maybe those that aren't so willing to comply with everything. Um, all of them left, which is very concerning. And then, yeah, I just I made a comment. I can't stand these people who think they sound all high and mighty when they argue we should make the people of another country suffer by removing them from the global economy because of their despotic government. It's disgusting. Still hold to that. Uh, Dave Smith tweeted this morning, buckle up for some serious war propaganda. Don't believe anything the corporate press tells you. The number one priority of all sane people should be to avoid a war with Russia. He also said, it seems like a lot of Americans are completely removed from the stakes of a war with Russia. I hear, quote, we can't let them do this, unquote, or, quote, you just want to let them do that, unquote. Understand, this ain't fucking Iraq. A war with Russia means the end of human existence. Sean Davis says, hot journalizing tips for Ukraine tweeting. Number one, uncritically share every sensational video on your feed, especially if you can't verify any of it. Number two, lean hard into telling other people they must fight a war you won't fight. And number three, blame the guy who's not president for everything. I said, know what you mean when, yeah, this this is just more of what I've been saying about sanctions. Um, Just said, know what you mean when you say we should cripple another nation with sanctions. Know that you are calling for the people of another country to suffer economically because of the actions of their government. Sanctions are an act of war and they only embolden the government. And then uh, Jack uh, Posobiec tweeted after the Ukrainian account um, again said, tag at Russia and tell them what you think about them. It's just crazy. <laughs> like, like, is this a game or something? Like, is is potential like World War Three a game? He just said, "You have to be kidding me." And then um, someone asked Dave Smith what the red line is for him. When would he go to war? And his response is, "I wouldn't advocate for a war that I wasn't willing to go fight and die in myself." And I think that that is perfect. That's that should be everyone's line. Um, because the truth is, is all these people calling for war, they're they're going to send. A bunch of Republicans. They're going to send a bunch of um, the kids of uh, Republican family members, um, and they're not going to go fight themselves. These politicians aren't going to go send their children. Their their politicians are obviously the the kids of the politicians are obviously going to stay here. Hunter Biden is not going to go fight. Um, so I, th- I think that that's just for anyone saying that we should go go to war with a country, just ask yourself whether or not you would be willing to fight and die and fund it too. Um, yeah. So um, Fee tweeted this article called, this was Mises's main case for peace. Maybe we should read through this really quick. Um, the subtitle is war only destroys peace on the other hand creates. 
And Brittany Hunter writes, war is absolutely devastating. There's no dancing around that fact. Not only is it responsible for the loss of countless human lives, it also leaves an, an immeasurable amount of physical and emotional destruction in its wake. Opponents of war may decry war until they are blue in the face, begging those in power to consider it its human costs. But these cries almost always fall upon deaf ears, as history has tragically demonstrated. When it comes to politicians in war, the ends always justify the means, even when those means are human lives. While human life is sacred, this truth alone has never been enough to convince global leaders to seek an agenda of peace rather than one of destruction. But the market has taught us that incentives work. So instead of relying on a method that has done much to deter war over centuries, why not try an argument that plays to the interests of those in power. As Mises explains in Liberalism, the most impactful argument against war comes in the form of a basic economic principle from which we each benefit, the division of labor. He writes, how harmful war is to the development of human civilization becomes clearly apparent once one understands the advantages derived from the division of labor. The division of labor turns the self-sufficient individual into the social animal dependent on his fellow man, the social animal of which Aristotle spoke. The division of labor plays a huge role in each of our lives. Every time we go to the supermarket or the office, we are see, seeing the division of labor in action. Since each individual is gifted with different comparative advantages, it makes sense that each would specialize in the field where the contribution is most efficient and thus most useful. This is why some of us are farmers while others are lawyers. And it is this system that has given us a market robust with choice. As Mises explains, if a number of men work in cooperation in accordance with the principle of the division of labor, they'll produce other things being equal, not only as much as the sum of what they have been, what they would have produced by working as self-sufficient individuals, but considerably more. If I really wanted to, I could spend my time being a jack of all trades, attempting to supply all my basic necessities for myself. But this would make it almost impossible to master more than one specific trade. So instead of growing my food, sewing my own clothes, or building my own home, I rely on others who have specialized in each of these fields. By doing so, I free up my time so that I am able to focus on my own unique set of skills and talents. The division of labor is so important to civilization that Mises writes, all human civil civilization is founded on this fact. It is by virtue of the division of labor that man is distinguished from the animals. And while the division of labor may separate us from nature's wild creatures, there is nothing more animalistic than war. As Mises also notes, war, carnage, destruction, and devastation we have in common with the predatory beasts of the jungle. Constructive labor is our distinctly, distinctively human characteristic. The argument in favor of human dignity may strike a blow to the hearts of many, but it has never been enough to deter the powerful and power hungry from waging war. But one thing the powerful understand well is self-interest, and therein lies the key to an effective anti-war argument. Mises writes, there are high-minded men who detest war because it brings death and suffering. However, much one may admire their hum humanitarianism, their arguments against war and being based on philan philanthropic grounds seem to lose much or all of its force when we consider the statements of the supporters and proponents of war. This is why Mises proposes reframing the debate. For the warmonger, unconcerned or at least unfazed by the human toll of war, conflict does have political benefits. For those warmongers, as Mises writes, war is the father of all things, said a Greek philosopher, and thousands have repeated it after him. Man degenerates in time of peace. Only war awakens him in slumbering talents and powers 
and imbues him with sublime ideals. If war were to be abolished, mankind would decay into indolence and stagnation. And while humanity may not rank high on the state's hierarchy of values, trade, commerce, and luxurious foreign imports, most certainly most certainly do. In truth, war is the destroyer of all things and the market is the creator. Since conflict interferes with the free exchange of goods and services among those on opposite sides, it serves only to hurt all parties involved. Mises touches on this when he says, self-sufficient farmers who produce on their own farms everything that they and their families need can make war on one another. But when a village divides into factions with the smith on one side and the shoemaker on the other, one faction will have to suffer from want of shoes and the other from want of tools and weapons. As has already been discussed, few people pursue isolated production simply because it is not on our in our best interest to do so. Our lives would be filled with labor and toil with no room left for much else. To go back to such an existence in our modern world would be unthinkable, and yet war is always on the table when that too should be seen as completely unreasonable, especially when considering our economic reliance on other countries. We need each other. There is a misconception that liberals are atomistic in their worldview. But liberals understand better than anyone that isolation would benefit nobody. Understanding the importance of the division of labor reminds us how much value others bring into each of our lives, even if indirectly. It makes us realize that war should be avoided at all costs. As Mises writes, in order to provide the family of an English worker with all it consumes and desires, every nation of the five continents cooperates. Tea for the breakfast table is provided by Japan or Ceylon, coffee by Brazil or Java, sugar by the West Indies, meat by Australia or Argentina, cotton from America or Egypt, hides for leather from India or Russia, and so on. And our modern world, and our and in our modern world, this economic interdependence is even more intense than in Mises's day. The fact of the matter is that many, if not most, of our le- electronics are made abroad. As Americans, we enjoy these products without really absorbing what made in China actually means. If we were to go to war with an electronic manufacturing giant like China, imports from that country into the United States would stop. Sure, we may not feel a sting immediately, but as soon as you look to replace your old smartphone and find the new model to be no better, yet twice as expensive, you would soon realize how much we rely on foreign allies for products we use on a daily basis. As Mises says, at the beginning of the 19th century, by far the greater part of the inhabited world was still divided into a number of economic regions that were by and large, self-sufficient. The development of a complex network of international economic relations is a product of 19th century liberalism and capitalism. They alone made possible the extensive specialization of modern production with its concomitant, I think that's what that is, improvement in technology. So peace creates, war only destroys. Peace, on the other hand, creates. As a line from a song in the Broadway musical, Rent exclaims, the opposite of war isn't peace, it's creation. Peace is what has allowed us to each specialize in one area while benefiting from the division of labor. Peace is what has given the world access to the precious treasures of foreign nations. Can you imagine a life without spices imported from abroad or various food items? If not for peace and trade, the United States may have never tasted chocolate and what a tragedy that would have been. And this is something even politicians can appreciate. That was written by Brittany Hunter. Uh, She writes for the Pacific Legal Foundation, and she is a co-host of the Way the World Thinks, a a Tuttle Twins podcast for families. Everyone... Everyone needs to check out Tuttle Twins. Um, uh, Tuttle, 
Total Twins started at least as um, books for children to kind of teach them more free market libertarian principles um, about economics. So yeah, to return to my feed, oh crap. Um, I don't know where I was at. I'm just going to be going for, I might even go for two hours, but when I run out of steam, I'll stop. Glad to see that six people are watching. Um, yeah, so this is where I last. So that was the article. And then I retweeted that thing about um, the neo-Nazis in Ukraine again. Um, and then Dave DeCamp admitted that a lot of us really were wrong about invasion. Um, Aaron Mate said, I did not think that Russia would invade Ukraine. The pushback from Kiev and other U European allies to U.S. warnings, coupled with the long history of Western intel deceptions, were the main reasons I was wrong. He said, Russia's attack is illegal. It's also exactly what U.S. would have done had Russia done to Canada what U.S. did to Ukraine. Pledge hostile military alliance membership, back a coup, porn weapons used to attack civilians, thwart diplomacy, except U.S. would have done it years ago. That doesn't justify what Russia is doing. Nothing can, but helps explain it. U.S. has treated Ukraine as a prize in its bid to encircle and weaken Europe weaken Russia long after Cold War ended. I wish Russia pursued more diplomacy, but fact is they're responding to a crisis they didn't start. And yeah, he, uh, I, I don't think there's going to be in any audio. Um, Spudruck is in the comments is saying that uh, he can't hear anything or they can't hear anything. Um, but Aaron Mate tweeted something about uh, the leaked phone call from Victoria Newland and then U.S. Ambassador Jeffrey Pyatt choosing the new Ukrainian government in 2014. I, I wish I could play the call because it's it um, kind of exposed how the United States was very involved in the coup and how billions of dollars in the U.S. Um, supported it and supported the protesters or I think supported uh, clamping down on pro-Russian protesters and um, have continued to fund or aid the government in Ukraine since. And yeah, so so I, I tweeted later, when Mitt Romney and Eric Swalwell types say this is the largest invasion against a sovereign people by a great power since World War II, it tells you what they really think of people in the Middle East and Africa. just considering what, like all the seven wars that we're in, um, Libya, where there's now chattel slavery because the United States got involved and toppled the government there. Um, obviously Iraq, Afghanistan, the ones that people know about. So Somalia, longest war, I think in the United States right now, or that the United States government is, is, um, conducting right now. And then, uh, Yemen, which is the worst of all of them if this conflict with Russia doesn't boil to be something much greater. Um, and then Drew Hancock uh, posted this photo of, <laughs> I mean, it's just like, just like the general sentiment of like a uh, average white liberal, like uh, 
hearing about Russia invading Ukraine and he was making fun of that. Um, and apparently the German chancellor has warned that Boris Johnson uh, warned Boris Johnson that Germany would not support kicking Russia out of SWIFT and neither would the EU, which is great to see. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to Ethan more about that tonight hopefully. Um, and then I, again, I just restated that Montana needs to pass defend the guard legislation. This upcoming session, no state should send its national guard to another country unless Congress has declared war. I really think there's fertile ground for this, um, uh, legislation in Montana, especially after the, the Montana legislature passed a resolution almost unanimously calling on the feds to end endless wars. Scott Horton came to Montana and and we took him to the Capitol and he testified to the legislators and um, made a very convincing case about why we needed to leave Afghanistan and Iraq before we had left Afghanistan. And um, I, I, I can't remember what the vote actually came down to. I think there were only one or two people who opposed the resolution and their, their arguments came down to resolutions just being like a, a wish list to Santa. Uh, but I think that it really is kind of like it, it it can wake up DC, right? Or at least, at least it can wake up your, your representatives that go to DC. Um, like when Steve Daines and, uh, Tester hear that the legislature passed a resolution to end endless wars, I think that it, it really gives them a message who their constituents are and, um, who they represent and what they want. Um, and then, yeah, the Montana Libertarian Party is trying to find legislators to sponsor that bill. Um, Montana has the third highest veteran population, and there's a lot of support for returning to constitutional war powers here. Like I said, I think 67 percent supported leaving Afghanistan, 67 percent of veterans. And I think it's around the same for Iraq. And those numbers are probably different now. Um especially with Ukraine, the Ukrainian situation. I know that uh, Concerned Veterans for America has been really good about getting polls on stuff like this. Um, so everyone should check check that out. I, I wrote a really good piece um, for antiwar.com about the, the resolution that was passed in Montana. Um, and I got a lot of my information from Concerned Vets, which is just a, a really great organization. And then everyone should also check out Reed Coverdale's um, rant about Ukraine this morning. Uh, Patrick Carroll said it is in war that the state he's, he's citing Murray Rothbard. He says it is in war that the state really comes into its own swelling in power and number and pride and absolute dominion over the economy and the, and the society. Patrick's really great. He's a very smart guy. And then uh, let's see what the comments are saying. <laughs> Someone says that I should be using Brave instead of Google Chrome. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, someone said the only reason we care about this is because the neolibs have the launch button. Uh I don't know about that. I mean, I'm opposed to war, even if it, I mean, it, it depends also what you mean by neolibs, right? Like <laughs> neoliberals seem to be anything from Eric Swalwell to, um, 
Mitt Romney, but they could also be considered neocons. So I, I don't really know how to define those things. But yeah, I would. I don't really support anyone having the launch button. Um, I think the like. Does anyone know how many nukes we actually have? I know that Russia has a lot more, but it, it's absolutely insane. Um, and then Jonathan Gottschall, uh, it's nice to see you in the comments. He said, our senators and representatives released statements about Russia and Ukraine. Never got to read them, though. Oh, wow. Um, well, I think Senator Danes denounced Russia, which <laughs> I, I've always found that funny is when like public officials feel the need to denounce something that's obviously detestable. <laughs> like it's like if you wouldn't have said something, would you have gotten backlash? Um, but, yeah, I think they've obviously just come out and said that they um, condemn what Russia is doing, but I don't know if they've called for anything. All right. And then uh, Louis Angeles, I, I work with Louis um, as a fellow for um, fee as a Hazlitt fellow for the foundation of economic education. He said, no matter how you feel right now, don't forget that sanctions are an act of war. Imposing sanctions on another country will only escalate the situation. So absolutely right. Um, and then I wish I could show you guys this video. This is this is crazy. Um, uh, Tim Poole said, I wonder why Putin views Ukraine as a puppet of NATO. Could it be that Biden publicly bragged about a threat to illegally illegally withhold aid to the country in exchange firing the prosecutor that was investigation? Firing the prosecutor that was investigation the energy company his son was a board member of. Um so yeah, there's a typo, but yeah, there, there's this video. He, it, it's absolutely crazy. I, I hadn't heard this before. Biden just bragging at uh, the Council on Foreign Relations, saying that like he got this prosecutor fired that was investigating. I think it would have been Burisma then, um, because uh, the, the guy. Yeah, yeah, Biden withheld aid to Ukraine uh, as vice president. Um, to fire this prosecutor that was investigating, I believe it was Burisma. And um, in, in this video, he says, well, son of a bitch, I, I actually got it done. And the guy who posted the video says, imagine Joe Biden had been focusing on geopolitical end goals instead of getting a prosecutor fired who was investigating corruption involving his son. Imagine. And then Odyssey um, tweeted, quick FYI about what will happen soon. Only certain channels citing official sources will be able to speak about the Ukraine war on YouTube. So if you're a news and commentary channel, get everyone on Odyssey before they shut you down, demonetize you without warning. I am on Odyssey. So if um, you guys have Odyssey, you should sign up for Odyssey and then subscribe to me um, because I think they're absolutely right. Like that's the trajectory we're going down. Um, and I think... What, what was a guy's name? Someone might know in the comments, but I think his name's Majid. He he was on Joe Rogan's podcast the other day, and he said that he's going um, on Odyssey, which is was it's huge because he has like four hundred fifty thousand followers on Twitter. Um, so it's cool to actually have some big voices uh, embracing Odyssey. And then I, I tweeted that it was perfect timing for comic Dave Smith to introduce 11 million people to Scott Horton and antiwar.com on Joe Rogan's podcast the other week. We need strong non-interventionist voices right now. Uh, yeah. Majin Nawaz is what someone in the comments said. Um, everyone should check out that, that episode with Joe Rogan with Majid and then also check out this episode with Scott Horton. Um, it, 
it's really awesome to see. I, I think both Dave Smith and Scott Horton got a bump in uh, subscribers after this, which is really important right now. Um, Scott Horton, I mean, he's the guy who really got me into foreign policy. Uh, I read Fool's Errand and then Enough Already. And then I met Scott Horton when he came to Montana um, and talked to my student group on campus here. Uh, and yeah, he's he's a really great voice. And he also testified at the Capitol. And I know he's been doing some other stuff with the Defend the Guard legislation in other states like Utah and Texas. And then Kevin Gastala said, I fully support every Russian person who tries to protest against Russian President Vladimir Putin and their government's attacks on Ukraine. We need anti-war mobilizations, particularly in Russia, but also in the U.S. and European countries. It's necessary to stop this escalation. Um, and then, yeah, I said, I really want to know what so-called fiscal conservatives are willing to do to defend Ukraine with all their talk of Biden inflation. Um, a conflict will only make things worse since, you know, we're broke and the Fed would have to print more money to fund war, which, uh, yeah, it's just I mean, it's like they're they're able to sit there conveniently and, and kind of um, attack Biden for inflation that Trump caused and bush caused and obama caused and now biden is is causing through their their uh deficit spending um so republicans are conveniently sitting there saying making all these fiscal arguments that are also simultaneously contradictory as they're advocating that we should go to war which would also increase more deficit spending and would require more funding so it's just it's it's ridiculous and it's all a joke um i really want to know what they actually think we should do because i i don't think that they're the fiscal conservatives that they pretend to be um and then yeah biden did talk today at 12 30 eastern time and apparently he was late again uh he was pushed back to 1 30 eastern time and then the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire said not wanting the United States to get involved in someone else's fight and recognizing the role they played in bringing things to where they're at doesn't mean you're pro-Russia. Don't let corporate media simps bully you like that. Eric Brakey said... Russia has a genuine fear of being surrounded by NATO. Understanding this is key to finding a diplomatic solution in Ukraine. Refusal to understand this is the path to nuclear war. And then Richard Engel said, Moscow is willing to negotiate terms of surrender with Kiev. Kremlin Press Secretary Dmitry Peskov. Um, in exchange, Ukraine would a guarantee of neutral status and the promise of no weapons on its territory. Per, I think that's Russia TV. So yeah, it looks like Moscow is willing to back down. And it looks like it was actually somewhat of a um, small and targeted attack. I Again, um, we haven't really seen reports of casualties. I don't know if anyone else has seen them yet, but um, someone in the comments was saying that uh, they hadn't seen any reports yet. So it looks like it was very targeted. It looks like they really were targeting military infrastructure. And um, I guess I did see that report that 10 civilians were killed. Um, Zelensky was saying, I think Zelensky reported that. But yeah, it looks to be fairly targeted. Obviously, it's still insane and um, terrible. But hopefully it doesn't continue and hopefully... Uh, Kiev and Moscow are able to talk things out. I don't know if the United States is actually going to back down and um, is willing to guarantee that Ukraine will be neutral. 
and if the United States is willing to pull weapons out of Ukraine, like I mentioned earlier, um, Scott's really great on this, Scott Horn, but he uh, apparently there are these defensive missiles in Ukraine that can be used offensively too. Um, so I don't know if the United States would be willing to pull out. I mean, we haven't talked like like I read from the Responsible Statecraft article. We haven't talked with Russia, apparently. Um, and we were saying that they were going to invade without talking to him. Yeah, and then here's another article by Fee um, kind of talking about this quote by Frederick Bastiat. He's an economist that everyone should read. Um, says when goods don't cross borders, soldiers will. I think I said that earlier too. Uh, And then Michael Tracy, who's also been really great on this. I think he, I don't know if he's a, he considers himself a leftist anymore, but he was, um, says that Zelensky says Russia has declared war on the whole of Europe, which sounds like an exhortation for NATO intervention, i.e. U.S. military intervention. The danger of larger scale escalation is grave. Anti-interventionists in Congress need to do more than just send stern letters. Libertarian Party of New Hampshire said the strongest deterrent against foreign invasion is a well-armed population. If Eastern Europe and the world are to learn anything about Ukraine, it's to remove any gun control they have and to strongly encourage civilian firearm ownership. And then Aaron Mate said Russia, Ukraine comes down to whether you're a Western chauvinist or not. Uh, chauvinists presume that U.S. can expand a hostile NATO to Russia's border, back a, U- a 2014 coup, flood Ukraine with weapons, and use its people as cannon fodder, and choose Ukraine's far right over Minsk peace accords. In my opinion, Putin snapped. He had other options. His pipelines fuel Europe. That's leverage. He could have given a speech to U.S. people. If force had to happen, he could have just gone into Donbass to protect its civilians. But ignoring or excusing the U.S. role is ahistorical and chauvinism. Libertarian Party of New Hampshire said the United States must not spend a single life or single dollar on Russia versus Ukraine. This includes sanctions, which are attacks on Americans. Dave Smith said, remember, Trump was impeached for holding up a Ukrainian weapons deal that he ultimately went through with. If sending Ukraine weapons was meant as a deterrent, it obviously failed. If it was meant as a provocation, then it succeeded. David Camp said, sanctions will only make things worse for everyone. I think we'll, I'm going to try to go through the details about what uh, the sanctions actually are with Ethan tonight um, and and just kind of I know that like the editor in chief of the newspaper he works with um, was sanctioned, which is just wild. Um, Drew Hancock said, quote, I'm anti-war, but equal sign, quote, I'm not anti-war. Yeah, you're seeing a lot of people um, who were for who who are supposedly anti-war, but um, are backing off of that because of this. And then, yeah, um, someone said that just reporting the Richard Engel thing that Moscow is willing to negotiate terms of surrender so long that Ukraine is um, guarantees neutral status and the promise of no weapons on its territory. Someone responded, Americans screamed, it's not about NATO, but obviously it was. Um, And then their videos came out of uh, a bunch of protesters in Europe or in, in Russia, um, 
who are opposed to war, which is really great to see. Um, in St. Petersburg. And I just said, we need to organize in the United States in solidarity with them, with these anti-war Russians. This is a war between political elites of different countries, not between their citizens. And then Reed Coverdale posted a um, screenshot of of, uh, people saying that Mitt Romney was right. Because famously in in the debates, um, Mitt Romney against Obama, Mitt Romney was very hawkish towards Russia. And um, in the Obama administration, obviously, they they flip-flopped and, well, not flip-flopped, Mitt Romney still very hawkish towards <laughs> Russia. But then the Democrats also simultaneously started to become very hawkish towards Russia. And, and Reid says that all these morons tweeting Romney was right need a history lesson. Romney thought Obama was too easy on Russia in 2012. But in 2014, Obama cooed Ukraine and installed a puppet government to oust Putin from his only warm water port in Crimea, escalating tensions, tensions and bringing us here. And then Fee Online retweeted or tweeted that the worst, this is a Ludwig von Mises quote, the worst evils which mankind has ever had to endure were inflicted by bad governments. And then, uh, yeah, so this is more about just the sanctions um, and, and the United States response. So Biden did say that he won't, and I think he doubled down on this, that he won't send any troops to Ukraine. But Dave DeCamp is saying that um, Biden reportedly presented with was presented with options to carry out massive cyber attacks against Russia. Options include disrupting Internet service, shutting off electricity, tampering with railroad switches. No denying this would be an act of war. That would just be crazy. Like, like it, it goes back to what I'm saying, like. Why is it that like people are so willing to make people in other countries suffer just because their governments are despotic? It's 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 crazy. Like like if China or Russia just started sanctioning and like if China just stopped selling all of their so all of the imports we get from China, if if China just stopped shipping all of them um, because Biden was our president or Trump was our president, like and just starved us out because we don't make anything in this country. Like, obviously we would object to that. Um, I'm going to check the comments again. Besides wanting to ban nuclear weapons, why should we care about war in the old world? I think we should, I mean, well, the truth is, is like if, if, you know, if countries are, fighting like i don't think that the united states should get involved i i really don't um and and that's why and and the nukes um the fact that these countries have nukes just strengthens my argument but even if they didn't i'd i'd obviously be opposed to going to war with those countries um is that john vanick I think John's in the comments. Um, my friend from high school said, uh, just sit and watch the hypocrisy roll out over the course of the, this dilemma. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and then, yeah, I, I also saw this. Apparently Lex Friedman hinted at an interview with Putin. Um, I think he's planning on going to Russia and interviewing people um, in the Russian government and the Ukrainian government. That's, I mean, Lex is, Lex is great. Uh, he, <laughs> just a great guy. 
Um, and yeah, it is John. That's awesome. Thanks for being, being here, man. Thanks for tuning in. So yeah, back to, um, Twitter. Yeah. The fact that Biden was given these options for cyber attacks is crazy. I, I mean, it also like goes back to support the idea that like Biden has no idea what he's doing. There's just people around him that support him. And like, there's, there's kind of like this corporation that is government that exists with bureaucracies and all of these different agencies that exist, no matter who is in office. Um, the, these people who are elected, who stay in these bureaucracies and these agencies, um, between presidents, like they're the, they're the scary people. They're the ones who are running things, um, kind of makes this entity that is government, like, uh, exist beyond just an individual. Um, and, and when, when Biden comes in office, like the, these agencies obviously report to, to Biden and they're able to influence him. Um, he has no idea what's going on. And he was approached with this policy um, to cyber attack Russia, which is absolutely crazy. And then Clint Russell said, no one wins in a war between nuclear powers. So if you armchair pro-war pundits could STFU, that would be great. Someone... I think this is, yeah, Kyle Matovchik. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but he said Scott, and Scott Horton is probably one of the most important people in the world right now for his knowledge on foreign policy. Totally agree. Antiwar.com. Um, everyone should check it out. They're the source that I was reading from earlier. Um, Libertarian Party of New Hampshire said sanctions imposed like this against a country are designed to squeeze the regular people with impoverishment and even death in hopes that they rise up against the regime. It's a brutal and evil tool used by our government with no regard for the innocence it will suffer. Yeah, so that's the top of my um, everything that I've retweeted. So I don't know if... Uh, I don't know what has happened since I started live streaming, um, but I know that Biden did have his um, press conference or his uh, did give his speech. And I know that he uh, announced some sanctions. And I think we'll dive a little bit into that um, tonight with Ethan Holmes. Um, but yeah, I, I appreciate everyone tuning in. Um, might check the top articles really quick on Twitter. So people are just tweeting antiwar.com. And apparently more U.S. forces are headed to Europe. And we are not trying to cut off Russia from the SWIFT banking system, which is amazing. That is really great to hear. And people are recommending the David Stockman article that we kind of skimmed. We'll just read this one um, article from antiwar.com really quick, and then we'll finish the live stream. So this is Dave DeCamp writing again um, for antiwar.com. He says that Biden announced more sanctions on Russia and that more U.S. forces are headed to Europe. The U.S. and its allies are not trying to cut off Russia from the SWIFT banking system, setting European opposition. On Thursday, by 
President Biden announced more sanctions on Russia in response to Moscow's military offensive. The sanctions aim to cut exports to Russia, block the assets of four major Russian banks, and target individual Russian elites. For now, the U.S. and its allies are not trying to cut Moscow out of the SWIFT international payment system. Biden claimed the sanctions he announced, combined with the ones he imposed earlier this week, are tougher than cutting Russia from SWIFT. He said that the sanctions would limit Russia's ability to do business in dollars, euros, pounds, and yen to be part of the global economy. This is going to impose severe costs on the Russian economy, both immediately and over time. We have purposely designed these sanctions to maximize a long-term impact on Russia and to minimize the impact on the United States and our allies, Biden said. The president reiterated that the U.S. is not sending troops to Ukraine to fight Russia, but said he would order more troops to Eastern Europe. Our forces are not going to Europe to fight in Ukraine, but defend our NATO allies and reassure those allies in the East, he said. Biden said he authorized the deployment of ground and air forces stationed in Europe to the eastern flank and additional U.S. forces capabilities to deploy to Germany as part of NATO's response. Earlier this week, U.S. troops and military hardware were sent to the Baltic nations as the U.S. and NATO are reinforcing areas near Russia and Ukraine, what they call their eastern flank. President Biden said that he has no plans to speak with Russian Vladimir Putin at this time. The Russian attack on Ukraine came amid soaring inflation and rising gas prices. U.S. officials have said America should expect to feel some economic pain due to the U.S. sanctions. Biden said he would try to limit the pain the American people are feeling at the gas pump. So there we have it. Um, Biden did say that he wanted to be like FDR when he first got into office, Um, whether that's going to war. Maybe he ends up implementing price controls on gas, which would just absolutely devastate the economy, um, create shortages. Uh, Yeah, looks like he's kind of getting it. Um, Hopefully it doesn't go beyond this, but... um, Yeah, the fact that we're not willing to speak with Putin is crazy. I don't know if you guys remember um, in in the debates, but uh, one of Biden's main talking points against Donald Trump was that he was willing to sit down with dictators, um, sit down with uh, Kim Jong-un and sit down with Vladimir Putin. And to me, (laughs) the fact that people bought that is crazy. yeah, we should be more diplomatic because if, as as the previous articles we read said, um, we weren't talking with them while we were accusing them of about to invade Ukraine. And we kept moving the date, right? Like we kept saying, oh, they're going to invade on Wednesday. They're going to invade tomorrow. They're gonna, And meanwhile, we weren't talking to them and we were putting them in this box where we were either going to absorb Ukraine into NATO or um, they would have to invade. And unfortunately, it was the latter. And they didn't just stick to the Donbass region. Um, originally, we thought that they were only going to send peacemakers to the Donbass region. That's what they said. But obviously, you can't trust states, governments, and, and what they say. Um, so, yeah, I really hope I hope to uh, keep you guys updated. I've been – I actually had my first day off in a really long time. Um I've been studying for the LSAT. 
finally took the LSAT and I'm waiting for my score back, um, which <laughs> I honestly have no idea how I did on, on the LSAT. I don't know um, how I scored. It largely depends on which section of the LSAT was the experimental section because they one of the sections is is for future questions they're testing people on on future questions that they might have in in future tests and i honestly have no idea how i did because uh depending on which section was the experimental one either did really good or probably really bad um so i'm waiting to hear back from that meanwhile i'm just doing some like technical like graduation stuff so i figured since i did have some kind of Breathing time today, I, I would just give you guys an update, read the news, because I hardly ever get to do that, and um, go through Twitter and update you guys with everything that I'm reading. Um, again, I will be going live at 7.30 tonight with Ethan Holmes. Um, he's great. You should definitely check out my previous podcast with him. I did an update on the Russia-Ukraine situation with him, I think, about two weeks ago now. I also just did a regular interview with him, I think, last summer. He's a very interesting guy, very knowledgeable, and I think he'll have a lot to say tonight. I'm also potentially bringing my friend Spencer Whitaker into the interview. Um, and yeah, I hope to see all of you guys tonight um, at 730. Uh, I posted the link on Twitter, or I will post the link on Twitter, but it is on YouTube right now if you guys want to find that. Um, I'll also, yeah, I'll post it on all my social media Remember to subscribe to me on YouTube. Um, I'm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, all the podcatchers. Um, and also check me out on Twitter at M. Liam McCullum. Um, and then I'll just go through the comments one more last one last time before I get off. So John is asking, has the policy for cyber attacks against Russia been approved or is it still up in the air? I would assume it's still up in the air, but I think Ethan was telling me last night that it was difficult for him to communicate with people in Russia. And I don't know what was going on there. Um, a lot of this probably won't be confirmed for a while. And, and I'm assuming a lot of the stuff would be covert. It's not like they're going to go to Congress to approve any of this. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I haven't since since I first started live streaming, I, I haven't really paid attention to see if there are any other developments. Um, but yeah, I'll hopefully keep you guys updated and definitely tune in tonight to see what Ethan has to say, because as we're recording, he's currently in a bunch of um, talks. He's uh, like I said, he works for Sputnik News. So he he attends a lot of these um uh, press conferences. So he, he was up late last night, um, paying attention to the security council meetings and he'll have a lot to say about what they talked about last night and what the accusations were, what Russia was saying. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know what Biden's response will be, what the United States response will be, but, um, hopefully everything calms down and it was a very limited, um, strike and very limited uh, coup de main, I think is, is the word that's used, but I don't even think it's, it's that because it seems like they they just took out all the military infrastructure and, and they're just um, leaving it as is. Um, but obviously they'll escalate if they don't meet their demands. If Ukraine doesn't meet their demands. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jonathan Gottschall says um, with 3000 plus executive orders, be like FDR. Yeah, I, I worry about that. 
Um, someone said Scott Horton on part of the problem said this is a token force that would turn tail and run if the Russian army army would come their way. I think that's absolutely true. The only problem is, is if they have United States support, um, and I don't think they do, but if they, if like the United States backs them, then they kind of, it kind of like disrupts all the incentives and it emboldens the Ukrainian government and puts them in a situation where they're less likely to uh, be diplomatic and, and try to compromise on something. Um, so it really, I, I think it actually comes down to what the United States and um, NATO and the UK and what their responses are going to be. Um, but yeah, I mean, as, as for now, they're, they're, they would absolutely collapse just like uh, um, the Afghanistan government did. Um, they're, they're just propped up. They are a token force. Um, obviously, Russia would be able to defeat them. And I know a lot of people were thinking that, like, if anything, like Russia is just going to prop up um, a Russian government, a puppet government in, in Ukraine and take it away from the West. Um, so that's that's a possibility, too. Someone's asking what law school I want to get get into. I think I want to go local. I, I think I want to go to a law school here. Um, and I majored in philosophy, journalism and pre-law. Um, and then I also got a certificate in, uh, what was it? Philosophy, politics, and law. And I graduate in May, hopefully. <laughs> Maybe I'll get drafted. And then someone asked, uh, about the justice league review. Um, yeah, I need to schedule that. I, I've, if anyone hasn't checked it out like that you, you guys should go check out my reviews with uh my friends austin amistoy and spencer whitaker we reviewed i think we reviewed wonder woman 1984 um man of steel and no no we interviewed we reviewed man of steel and um batman v superman and we promised that we were gonna review justice league i've only seen it I, i've seen it twice which is actually saying quite a bit because it's so long. Um, but I want to watch it one more time. And I think I want to watch it with both of them just so that we can kind of like, uh, figure out what we think about things together and, and figure out what we would talk about, but I'll, I'll talk to them and see if they want to do it soon. Spencer should be on the podcast tonight or he might be. Um, so I'll talk to him about it after, but yeah, thank you guys for tuning in. I'm going to end the broadcast now, but Subscribe to me on everything I said. I'll, I'll link to everything in the description and then watch my live stream tonight at 730.